come across as scatterbrained the next few minutes as I did the last few minutes. <laughs> Welcome to Crossroads Church on uh, Mother's Day, and those of you that are guests, we're glad that you're here. And uh, we, we, we do love the Lord here, we love His Word, and we really honor um, the, the Word of God and worship, and so I just pray that you will find this place a friendly place for you. And then um, after service, if you uh, want to get to know some of us, there will be coffee and cookies just right down that hallway. So make sure you take time to do that. I love the book of Proverbs, and even though this won't be the sermon, I wanted to give a proverb of the day. So I picked one from chapter 8, same as the date, and I picked verses 35 and 36. For whoever finds wisdom finds life and receives favor from the Lord. But whoever fails to find wisdom harms himself. All who hate wisdom love death. Wow, that's pretty strong. But that's the Word of God. Today we're going to wrap up um, a very brief series. We've been studying the book of Haggai, and um, Haggai is uh, way towards the end of the Old Testament, and it's kind of a creepy name for a person. I always think it's Haggai. Some people, and that's, that's a correct pronunciation too, but it just is like this picture of this scary woman in this fairy tale book when I was growing up, a haggai woman. I don't know what that means exactly, but Haggai, last book. And this week is going to be, it's going to have its challenging moments. It comes out really, it's a happy story in the end, but I want to ask you, you know, once we get into the, the, the message today, keep your seatbelt on, keep your, your arms and your feet inside the car at all times, and we'll make it to the end okay, all right? Okay, we'll go to that? All right, so, um, because there are some difficult texts. This, uh, let me give you a little bit of backstory, remind you where, um, wh- what the story is here. About 600 years, roughly, before Jesus... The, um, the Babylon, a Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar takes his army in to conquer um, the nation of Judah. Or the, and um, when they went in, they not only wiped out the countryside and um, so forth, but they also destroyed the temple that Solomon had built, this, this amazing temple that people flocked to from around the world. It was a pretty amazing thing. And um, this, was, this defeat was not only a terrible um, physical blow, to the nation, you know, they carried the people off captive and so forth, but it was also a spiritual blow. The place that they identified with as God's home, they, they wiped, it was wiped out. And um, so they carted many or most of the people away, and they're gone now, they're slaves. And you can imagine if another country came in and wiped out Western Washington and all of a sudden carried us all away and we're somewhere and we're forced to be slaves. We lose the, you know, the right to bear arms and the right to free speech and the right to assemble and to believe. All that stuff's gone. We just do what they tell us. And uh, so that, that's kind of what had happened here. Pretty bad deal. And um, everything that we loved, everything that they loved was gone. And they're in captivity for about five decades, oh, 50 years-ish. And um, they didn't have any rights. And then all of a sudden... The king says, you know what? Some of you can go on back and start rebuilding your country. Go ahead and go on back and rebuild the temple. Man, what a happy day. Somewhere between 40 and 50,000 people made the trip back um, after an entire generation. They decided to go back and to rebuild their house and God's house and, and their lives. And they started out really strong. They were all amped up. Oh, let's go. This is great. We get to do this. And they laid a foundation for the temple. They even got to the point where they started building the altar, and the people who were still living in that area, the Samaritans, started giving them a little bit of grief, you know, saying, sorry, you can't build here, and you can't do that, and, you know, you need a building permit, and all these things that they started making them do and making it hard, and they got frustrated, and they just gave up. 
little bit of resistance, and they just kind of quit what they were doing, and um, they quit building. And it sat for 14 years, for 14 years with no progress at all. And at that point, God thought, you know what, this has been long enough, and so God raises up this, this guy who's a prophet, um, and his name was Haggai, and, and says, Haggai goes back and says, you know what, the time is now. Now is the time to rebuild the temple. Let's get going. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously. And, and, and so they started doing it again. But didn't take very long. They started this project. Didn't take very long, and they got all discouraged again, and they slowed down again. And if you read between the lines, some of the things that the people were facing there, um, and maybe their actions and their attitudes, um, you know, it might... I think these people were probably having the same kind of internal battles and struggles that we kind of go through. And uh, I think maybe some of us feel this way. You know, God, we were trying to do the things that you asked us to do with our lives, and things just aren't going that well, you know? We were doing what you told us to do, and we're not making any forward progress. I'm trying to obey you, God. I'm trying to do the things your word says to do, but... You know, where are the results? And, 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 and so as they start asking questions. Is it really worth it to serve you, God? Is it really worth it to build this thing or to do what it is that you're calling us to do? And I think that's a question a lot of us ask God. You know, I think they were asking it back then. I think a lot of people ask that same question today. God, I'm trying to do life your way. I went to church. You know, I'm trying to do this thing, you know, God, and, and yet my life still isn't working out the way that I think it should be working out. And, you know, as a pastor, I run into this, this kind of dialogue and conversation um, more frequently than you'd think. I mean, I mean um, years ago, I worked with this guy. This is a long time ago. I worked with a guy, and um, I would share my faith with him in a very respectful way. He knew who I was, and, and he was a colleague and nice guy. Um, and one day he says, you know, over a period of time, but eventually comes down to this conversation. He says, you know what, Terry, my wife won't have anything to do with me. I'm in debt, I'm way in a deep hole, and I, you know, I, he had some addiction problems. He had, was making terrible behavioral choices with his life. I mean, it was a big, terrible mess. And I'd been talking to him about God for a long time, and I'd said, you know, come with me to church. Even though he lived in a different city, he lived in Tacoma. I was working in downtown Tacoma at the time. He lived in another city, and um, it, would be, it would have been a miracle if he would have come, to me with church, come with me to church at some point, but he wouldn't come wouldn't come. He says, you know, I can't do that. I'm a Catholic. I'll go to hell if I go to a different church. I mean, that's the kind of things he said to me, which is what he taught. That's what he knew about God. He'd been told, here's what'll happen if you don't tow this line, you know, and I don't know how much of that was an excuse, but that's what he believed. And I said, well, that's fine. Then you get into your church and you f- seek God, you know, because I know some things that if you seek God, you'll find him. Scripture promises that. And I said, well, go to church. Go, go to mass. They call it mass. Go there and cry out to God. Don't go there and just go through the steps. Go there and pursue, pursue the creator of the, of the universe. And, um, you know, I press that. And one day he goes. I see him the next day at church or at work. He goes to church on a Sunday, and I see him on Monday morning in the office. Didn't work. <laughs> I said, what? He said, I tried it. It didn't work. I said, what do you mean you tried it and it didn't work? I went to church, I went to mass, and it didn't work. What didn't work? My wife still won't have anything to do with me. I'm still in a hole financially. I mean, this is a serious conversation. I mean, we, we chuckle about this, but this guy was serious. 
I said, wait a minute. You have ignored God your whole life. You cheat on your wife. You, 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 you spend more money consistently than you take in. You do all of these things. You know they're, 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 you're augering your airplane into the mountainside, and you're doing this stuff on purpose, and you figured with one hour in the house of God, God's going to fix all that. And his honest answer to me was, I was kind of hoping. In an hour, I was kind of hoping. And I think, you know, it seems so silly to us. He was serious. I think a lot of people think, you know, I tried the thing. I, try, I, I tried, I tried, I said the prayer. I went to church. I did something good. I did the God thing, and it's just not working. Is it even worth it to try to obey God? And this was the context of these people, I think. After all these years of, of slavery... They're trying to build a temple, and things weren't going their way, just like they thought it would be. And they were actually very good record keepers. You can see how long they worked on this thing and then how long until they stopped. There were times where they only worked on it for a month, and they gave up. Anyway, so but they're thinking, you know, it's just not going the way we thought. We got all this resistance here. We thought the king said, go ahead and do it. We thought that would open the doors, and this would all just work out. Is it even worth it to keep pushing this way? And this brings up a problem that they battle with and, and I've, I've battled with, and chances are probably you've battled with at some point. And here's the problem. Conditional obedience to God. Conditional <laughs> obedience to God. God, I, I'm in as long as you're delivering. God, I'm, I mean, I'll obey you as long as it doesn't cost me too much. I, I'll do what you want me to do as long as I see the results that I want to see. But if it makes me uncomfortable or if, it makes, if, it's, if it's inconvenient or if you're not doing what I think you should do, at that point, God, I think I'm going to back away. It's conditional, conditional obedience. As long as it doesn't make me uncomfortable, you know, conditional obedience. And I don't know if, um, if you've ever, <clears throat> you probably have, I'm pretty certain you will have, um, you've had a time where you felt like God was nudging you to do something for somebody. And, and um, I, I kind of, I've kind of come to a conclusion, and I believe this to be true. This is just a terryism. It might, might not be true. But here's this. Here's the deal. If I feel like I'm supposed to do something for someone, I'm going to assume that's God nudging me. Okay, I'm just going to make that assumption. I, I can't prove it, but I, but I think this. I think Satan, the enemy of our souls, is never going to say, hey, Terry, go do something nice for these people. I don't think the, the, the enemy of our souls is ever going to suggest that kind of t- thing to me. I'm just going to think that, okay, if God's telling me, if, if, if somebody's telling me to do something nice for somebody, I'm going to assume that that's God, okay? So I, I've told you this story before, I think, um, but it kind of highlights maybe some of my weaknesses in being a, a, a quick responder to obey the Lord. But, I mean, I used to, this is, this is a long time ago, I used to always carry a $50 bill wadded up and stuck in a certain part of my wallet. And I didn't allow myself to buy gas with it or buy hamburgers or potato chips or spend it. It was always supposed to be there. And, and, and this was something that I kind of did in response to something that the Lord had nudged me. Put a $50 bill in your pocket. And, the, and I knew what it was. I knew that the Lord wanted to occasionally use me as a vessel of blessing. Okay, He was going to put $50 through me somehow and bless somebody. But the bigger picture issue here for me was I knew the Lord wanted me to be an immediate responder when it came to obeying. 
which, you know, logic says I must not have been, otherwise he wouldn't have wanted to address that issue. You, you tracking with me on that? Okay. So the Lord's wanting to shape his son's character. So I did, and, um, you know, there were times I felt moved by the Lord, and I just, okay. And I went to a person, I said, you know what, I, I really think the Lord wants you to have this, and, you know, you go through the thing, people sometimes, wow, thank you, and other times they go, oh, no, 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 I can't accept charity, you know. It is what it is, but I, I would just go through it, and I, and I got to watch the Lord flow blessing through me. I didn't bless anybody, but I got to be a, a willing participant and a partner and watch that, and I'm telling you, that'll get into you. That will get into your, your blood. It will get into your skin. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And um, I, eventually, um, in fact, don't know how, if this was God, but it seemed like a good thing. Um, it, 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 at the last church that I pastored at, it, it, up in, in Olympia, Living Water, we got to the point where we thought, you know what, this is a good thing that we want the church council to get in on. And so we, we started them by you know, giving them all a $50 bit. Put this in your wallet. And as you circulate, it's a bigger church and a lot of people. And they circulate out in the community typically more than pastors do. Because pastors were always doing the stuff with all you church people. And you're out there, for the most part, with all the people, people, right? And so they had more access. And, 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 and it was a good thing to see hearts um, get shaped by the Lord to do that. And so I was pretty comfortable doing that. And then, okay, so fast forward a few years. So you, would, you get the concept. I'm supposed to be generous. And it's interesting that the Lord wanted to use money with me because typically I needed to have a plan before I would give somebody I didn't know money. I needed to know and be satisfied because I needed to be the judge. You know, I, there's all this, this, this stuff going on in me, and I'd need to have a plan. And the Lord wanted to just wean me of that. My eyes are supposed to be on him. You know, he says, you go over there, Terry. It doesn't mean, doesn't mean Lord, give me the map, and I want to see why and what's going to happen along the way. That's not what the Lord was working on in me. It, he was working on in me over there. I said, okay, and to learn to trust. And I never, by the way, never found the Lord not to be trustable. And um, fast forward a few years. So I'm going now to this, um, Lisa and I are going to this, this big conference in Los Angeles, this pastor's conference. And it wasn't our denomination's convention, but it was put on at Church on the Way. Um, pastor Jack Hayford would do this fall conference every year, and he'd bring in all these speakers, mostly not Foursquare, big names in the world of you know, Christians who would come in and they would speak. And we went for years. I mean, it was a great conference. We were built and enlarged by that. Just was a wonderful training place. And um, we'd been there a couple of times. And so this year, this, this year that we were going to go, um, the primary speaker was going to be this man that I had watched as a little boy on Saturday. Sometimes he'd be on TV. And I watched him like an oddity. He, was, he, sh- he belonged on Saturday morning in the, with the cartoons in my mind because he would, he would you know, yell, be healed at people, and you know, funny things would happen. I don't know if that was real on TV. But there was, here's what you could count on every time his show was on. Give me your money. He would, tell, he would just always begging for money. Drove me nuts. It drove me nuts. I mean, when, when I became a Christian and became a leader in the church, that drove me nuts because um, we have enough to overcome as church leaders where money is concerned. I think that's a great place where, where the Lord shapes our hearts and our trust. And so when I see church leaders manipulating to get money, which, views, which I view as manipulating, whether my heart's right or not, I don't know. But when I see it, I just go nuts. 
when I, when I turn the TV on, I see somebody say, hey, if you'll just send $25, we will send you this prayed over napkin. And if you just put it on your checkbook, your blood, I mean, that kind of stuff drives me nuts, okay? That's not how God works. So this guy is coming. And um, he has a bona fide, verified ministry. He preaches the word of God. People get saved. People get healed. He's got a college named after him. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, I, I don't know if I have permission to give you his name or not. It's not a big deal. It's Oral Roberts. Okay. So if you know Oral Roberts, okay. But the thing is, there's absolute fruit in his ministry. And I know Jack Hayford. I mean, I... We don't have lunch together or anything, but I, I know Jack Hayward's character was he would bring people in there that would stretch the living daylights out of people like me and make me get out of there with a bigger heart than I started with. Anyway, so I go to the meeting, go, go to these conferences, and it's like I wasn't literally holding my wallet, <laughs> but I was holding my wallet. I'm thinking, this guy's going to ask for money, and I'm not giving him a penny. I am going to this conference, and when Oral Roberts asks for money, he's not getting a penny. And I, I had like $400 in cash there because I was going to take my wife to Disneyland. We were going to go on Splash Mountain. You know, everybody's got a laughing place, a laughing place. <laughs> to go ho, ho, take a frown, turn it upside down, and you'll die. Yeah! So I'm going to go to Disneyland, and I got money because it costs 400 bucks to go in the gate or something like that. I mean, it's expensive. So I got my money, and I'm not giving it to Oral Roberts. <laughs> and um, the moment came. He, he gives this message, and it's, it, it's like zip. I'm letting the Lord's in there doing stuff in my heart. In my heart. And he doesn't ask for money. And Jack Hayford, a man I trust, gets up and says, all right, now, I know the Lord has spoken something to me, and I'm going to share it with you. The Lord wants us to bless this man and his ministry financially. So I want you to open up your wallets and give your money to Earl Roberts. <laughs> okay, somehow I knew before I got there that this was going to come. And here's the thing. I had $50 obedience to God but I did not have $400 obedience. I'm not real proud of that. God and I went through a, um, a tussle. <laughs> and, you know, um, I, I can tell you, I was angry <laughs> at, at my own struggle that went on, and I don't know how long that time lasted. It was probably less than two or three minutes, but it was like a 10,000-day war in my soul. I was so mad at God. I did not want to give Oral Roberts a penny because I didn't respect him, and I had that battle going on in my soul, you know, $50 obedience, not $400 obedience. I can tell you I ended up giving him the money, and I've talked to other pastors who I didn't know then, but I know well now, who are going through that exact same thing. And I think that's why Jack Hayford invited Oral Roberts to come, because he wanted pastors free from a judgment and all these kinds of things that God sometimes wants us to obey, and he doesn't want to have to explain it to us. He doesn't want to have to persuade us. By the way, this is not a money message. This is an obedience message. 
But, but sometimes money is that last bastion of refusal to follow and trust God. And, and the Lord's doing it to me. This pastor is in this place, and, and I went through this. Now, I, I will just tell you this. When I look back on that moment, it kind of scares me. Because I think, what would, what, what, would I, what would have happened to me, this heart, if I would have said, God, I'm just going to be conditionally obedient to you when I like it, when it makes most sense to me. Now, I will tell you this. I don't remember if we got to go to Disneyland on that trip. I don't think so. But then a little bit later, a couple years later, a guy who's a, a pastor down at a church down in, um, down there in um, Burbank, um, called me up and said, hey, come down and do some leadership stuff with my pastoral team and the council and at the church. Okay, so I came down there. We go down there, and we're just, just down there to serve. And he says, hey, you got a, a couple extra days? Yeah, I said, we planned a little couple extra days. He says, good, I got some things planned for you. First thing it is, his close friend who works in the church is an executive for Disney. They take us to Disneyland. We go right past where you pay to get in and where you wait to get on rides. And all, so... So we got not only, we got upgraded from having to pay for tickets. Another thing was this, that same trip. He says, hey, you're a nerd. You like science. You heard of Jet Propulsion Laboratory? I said, yes, I've heard of Jet. It's this ultra-secure place down there in that town where all of the, the satellites that we send out, they all come from there. The ones that, you know, land on Mars and the ones that go out and take the pictures of all the planets, all that stuff comes from JPL. And it's this ultra-secure place that you can't really get into. The vice, the, the vice president also goes to the church. He says, come on, I'll take you on a personal trip. So we got to see things. Oh, my, it was the coolest thing in the world. I can't prove this, but I believe that when I gave away my Disneyland money, the Lord had me covered. I just all say that. That's not the sermon point, but it's just, it's just a fact. I, I just think I had $50 obedience, but not $400 obedience, and I struggled. Conditional obedience. And God, as long as, and you can fill in the blank for yourself, as long as I'll do it your way, I'll do it your way. And then there's another way that, that con- the conditional obedience shows up. <laughs> it's, it's selective listening. You know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like, like when we were raising our kids, some of whom are here today, um, and we were raising them, we'd say, hey, you know, we need some help with the dishes. And um, they wouldn't hear us. They couldn't hear us. Hey, we need help with the dishes. They couldn't hear us, whatever. But if you whisper, ice cream, they would come running like cockroaches out of the dark. You know, selective listening, you kind of hear what you want to hear. And we can be like that. We can really get to be that way, you know. I love that part, God, where you plan to bless us and to prosper us and give us a hope and a future. We love that part. But forgive my enemies? God, you don't know my enemies. Pray for my enemies? Yeah, I'll pray for my enemies. Lord, would you make their transmission fall out on the freeway? (laughs) Conditional obedience and selective listening, you know? Wow. I mean... It's God, you know, God works all things together for good to those who love. I mean, we love that one. But God, you say, I'm supposed to wait for physical intimacy until I'm married? 
Uh, no, not so much, Lord. You, you don't understand. I'm a man. I got needs. Do you understand my needs, God? And so we somehow explain things to God that he does not understand. And we try to, it's selective listening. I'll obey you as long as I'm comfortable. Now, here's the thing about the text we're in. Now it's going to start to get serious. It kind of gets really serious here. And this is not like the drive through where you get to pick off the menu order. Um, I think... Um, um, Here's, here's the point. I'll come back and make my comment. God doesn't give us options to consider, but he gives us commands to obey. It's not like the drive-through, you know, where you get to pick. I mean, we used to do something at home with our kids called U-Pick. I think I might have mentioned it to you before. Uh, we didn't do this very often. We'd say, what are we doing for dinner? Don't know. You pick, you pick. They'd say, okay, you pick. So we would go over to a big grocery store, give them each a $5 bill when $5 used to buy something. Pick whatever you want. Bring it back. We'll pay for it. And then um, that's dinner for the family. We share it. And many, most of the times when you pick for dinner meant Fruit Loops, <laughs> potato chips, pickles, and ice cream. <laughs> and frozen pizza. Whatever you could get. They would, they would pool their money. Our children learned to work together. They learned to share. We had terrible food. We wouldn't do it very often. Um, but it was fun. Fun thing to do. Um, I encourage you to do it. It's a good family building, fun thing to do. Um, but that's not how it works with God. I mean, there will be times when the Lord will lead you and there will be a why in the road. And he'll say to you, you can go left or right, I'll bless either way. That does happen. But most of the time, the Lord's saying, you know, I will direct your steps. This is the direction. Most of the time, that's how it's going to work. It's very rarely options to consider. And we're going to see now here the reasons why, because the Lord's going to show the, his people the corruptive power that sin takes and, and this next test so, so here's what Haggai does now remember the people had turned away from God and they've been worshipping idols their hearts were not with God and um, they had put, put building their own houses ahead of God's house and so Haggai steps into this and the Lord raises him up verse 12 if one of, if one of you is carrying some meat he's, he's talking to the priests here if one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes okay stop just a second there what they would do is um, they, they, would, they would be given a portion of this holy sanctified meat and they would actually take that piece of meat and they would roll it up into a little pocket in their robes and, and wherever they were taking it. So, um, so he's saying, okay, so you've got this meat. If your robe, which is touching something, now this is sanctified meat, okay? Um, if, if your robe, which is touching something, brushes up against something that's unholy, that's where this is going. And his robe happens to brush against some bread or stew or wine, or olive oil, or any other kind of food, will it also become holy? He's asking them, does the holiness rub off onto the unholy thing? That's what he's asking them. The priest replied, no. So it's kind of like, here's, here's a picture, contemporary picture. You got your hands all washed clean, and you're in the kitchen, and you pick up a, 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 a spaghetti-covered plate. Does... Does you picking it up with your clean hands make the plate clean? No, of course not. Instead, you got now goo on your hands, right? So he's, he's basically saying, no, holiness does not rub up. And, and, and here's what he's saying that illustrates this, verse 13. Then Haggai asked, if someone becomes ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person. So they understood the law taught them that if, if a person touched a dead body, that makes you ceremonially unclean. Okay. So, so if someone becomes ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person 
and then that unclean person touches any of these foods, will the food be defiled? So now it's an unclean person touching these foods that we just listed. Is now the food defiled? Then the priest answered, yes. So here's what he's doing, what he's showing them. Sin is like a disease. Sin spreads easier than holiness. It's the corruptive power of sin. Paul said it this way. Here's an example of it in the New Testament. He said, do not be misled. Bad bad company corrupts good character. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. He didn't say good company cleanses bad character. He said sin has this corruptive, corrosive property to it. And, and you could say it's kind of like spaghetti sauce. It, it just messes up everything. That, the, the bowl, the sink, everything gets kind of stained by it. You know, you know, another way we say it is you don't ever wear a white shirt to an Italian restaurant because it's going to get defiled by the spaghetti. Either yours or the person next when they, you know, whatever. And now here's where the text is going to start to get a little bit tougher. Okay? Hang on. Verse 14. Then Haggai, Haggai responded, this is how it is with the people. And with this nation, says the Lord, everything they do, everything, right? Everything they do and everything they offer is defiled by their sin. Wow. Okay, I want to slow down on that for that. There's a lot there going on there. Everything they do and everything they offer is defiled by their sin because they turn away from God. Because they, their hearts are going after idols and not after God, God's saying, because of that, Everything they do is defiled. Haggai is teaching us this really, really difficult principle, and that's this. When your heart isn't right with God, everything you, everything you do is wrong. Let that sink in for a minute, boy. It just, you know, when your heart isn't right with God, everything you do is wrong. And I, I can feel in the room a little bit of maybe pushback on that. You know, I don't know about that, Terry. I mean, I think that we can find some New Testament examples of that too. One of them is Jesus talking. And uh, Jesus is talking and he says, you know, if you, if you go to the altar to bring your gift and you remember that you have ought with or a problem with a brother. Um, this is um, Matthew 5, 24. Jesus said, leave your gift there in front of the altar. In other words, you're ready to offer your gift. Don't take it back with you. Just leave it there, but don't offer it quite yet. <laughs> Crazy. Okay, don't do that. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. In other words, you need to, if your heart isn't right, it doesn't matter what you do, what Jesus is teaching there. Whatever you do is going to be wrong. You've got to get your heart right. Parents, and you know this is true with your children, right? If you have more than one child, they're going to fight. Maybe yours won't. Way to go. I don't know how that works. But I mean, they're going to they're gonna get into a little, they're going to step on each other's toes. They're going to do something. At some point, their heart's going to be wrong. And you're going to say to one of them, Terry, you tell your sister you're sorry. I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> seen that, have you? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and parents, are you satisfied with that? I mean, I'm asking the question, are you parents satisfied with that kind of a, of course not, of course not. You know, it's not, that, that doesn't work for me. No, you go back and say it, Terry, like you mean it. Why doesn't it work? Because it's the right thing. Saying I'm sorry is the right thing, but it's done with a wrong heart. You go back and say it like I mean it, you know. Our attitude matters. 
She used to make me hold hands with my sister. <laughs> You're a good mom. And then another thing, she would make me say, a smile is my style. I'm wounded by that, I'm sure. In fact, if I think about this long enough, I'm going to become the victim here. <laughs> Yikes. But our, our, our attitude matters. If your heart isn't right, whatever you do is completely wrong. But, but so often, we'll say, yeah, God, I'll obey you. I will, as long as you're doing the things that I want you to do. As long as it's working out for me, God, I'll obey you as long as it doesn't cost me too much or make me uncomfortable. God, I will obey you with $50 obedience, but not $400 obedience. And the central issue here is all about our heart, you know. We don't obey God in trade for what he's going to do for us later. You know, bless us, make our lives better. We, we obey him because of who he is, because he loves us so profoundly. He's so lovable. We love him because we want to honor him and bless him and everything. And that's with all of our hearts. And, and, and getting our hearts right matters so much. And so the next thing that goes on here is God starts reminding them. He's going to do a little bit of help them with their attitudes. And he starts, God reminds his people. And he's going to get back down to the bedrock here of the issue with them. He, and he starts in verse 15. He says, Look at what was happening to you before you began to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. So he's reminding them, we read about this two weeks ago, first week, um, they were laying that foundation, and what the scripture said there in chapter 1, verse 6, um, I didn't put it up, but I don't think, is it up there or not? I don't think it is. Um, leave that up, because we're not done with that. Um, it, basically, we said in, in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, you know, you're drinking, but you're still thirsty. You're eating, but you're not full. You're, you're, you're putting your money in pockets with holes in it or purses with holes in it. You know, you're doing all these things. In other words, you know, you're, you're, you're gathering as much wealth and fun as you can, but you still feel like there's something more. You're, you're doing everything that you can to get the most out of life, but you still feel empty. You're, you're working your tail off, but you're just not getting ahead. What's going on with all this? That's what was going on in week one. We read that. Verse 16, he says, When you hoped for a 20-bushel crop, you only harvested 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press, you found only 20. You know, it's like, today it could be like, you know, you thought you were going to get paid $20 an hour, but when you got your paycheck, it was only 10. You know, you, you, it, things are just not working like you thought they were going to. You just couldn't get ahead. What happened? Okay. Seatbelt on? Verse 17. This is God speaking through Haggai. He says this, I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. Ouch. God says, the reason you didn't get ahead is because I didn't let you. Okay. Completely transparent Terry here. I do not like that verse. I don't expect to see any little children quoting that. <laughs> I mean, I don't like that verse. That's a hard verse, you know. I'm, I'm doing all this stuff. I'm trying my best. I'm, and, and God, you put these problems on me? You did this? Why in the world would a good God do that? Why? Why? What, what kind of God is that? 
I don't get it. Is that the kind of God I want to serve? Is that the kind of God that really loves me? What's the deal? The next verse kind of helps us a little bit. God says, I sent the blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. And then he says, even so, you refuse to return to me, says the Lord. And there it is. That's the reason. You see, God is not trying to punish his people. He's trying to restore his people. Restoration's God's goal here. He wasn't trying to hurt them. He was simply trying to restore them. Sometimes... God may not change your negative situation because he's trying to change your heart. There are just are times when God may not change the hard things you're walking through because he's trying to change your heart. Now, I'm walking at this moment, trying to walk very, very carefully. This is really, really tricky theological territory here, okay? And I want you to understand, I am not saying to you, if something bad is going on in your life, you deserve it. And God's sending it. I'm not saying that to you. But we need to understand still that there are times when God will allow something um, and, and it has a purpose, and that purpose is to get our attention and to draw our hearts back. And there, there are other times, probably many, 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 many more, probably most times, maybe most all the times, when something bad's happening, it's either our spiritual enemy attacking God's people or it's just the byproduct of the fact that we live in a broken, corrupt, dying world. And when sin is present, people do things and it's the cost of that, it's collateral damage. I think that's probably the vast majority of times when something bad's going on in our life. I don't think, it's, I think it's rare when God says, okay, Terry, going to twist your ankle here because I need you to get on your knees and stop worshiping what you're after there. And I'm not saying God ever twisted my ankle. He might have. Um, so I think it's really, really rare. But there are times, so please hear this. If something bad is going on in your life right now, you not, do not hear me saying that this is something that you've earned this and you deserve it. I am not saying that. Everybody hear that? Okay. But this passage is in the Word of God. And this is one of characteristics of God. Not that he will hurt his children, but he will discipline those that he loves if that's what it takes. Because the course we're on is so destructive sometimes that he will do this as a last resort to save us from something terrible. To save us from something terrible. And, um, and the intention there, of course, is always to bring our hearts back to him and, and that's what happened. And, and, and here's about, even in the middle of this, here's some, I see some really loving thing, and that's about how God went about this. All he really did was he cut off their supply. He just kind of squeezed the supply. Notice he didn't kill them. He didn't make them all sick. He didn't do something cruel. He just cuts off their supply. And, and he did it to get their attention, to turn their hearts back to him. Oh, God, we do see that you are our provider. We do see that you are gracious, that you are full of mercy, that you're the one that controls the seasons and the rains and, and our hearts are coming back to you. Now, if this seems unloving to you, I just want you to consider this. If you're a loving parent, this is exactly the same thing that you would do in a similar situation. It really is. Here, here, here's, a, here's a, for example, if your kids are off at college and you're sending money with a lot of numbers on it and commas and digits every month to help pay for their college and you find out that 
they're smoking that money away and drinking that money away and partying that money away and skipping classes and, and abusing your generosity, the first thing you are going to do as a loving parent is to cut off that supply. You are. You're going to say, you know, look, because why would you do that? Because their behavior, the, the choices that they're making, they dishonor what you're trying to do to accomplish in their lives to bless them. If you're paying for college, you know, if you're trying to do this, you're putting all this money into it, you're, you're trying to do something. And, and in fact, doing nothing at that point actually makes the situation worse. It can even endorse or teach them the wrong things. So you're, you're, you, you need their heart to come back to the right values, and you just say, you know, I, I cannot supply your party lifestyle. And you do the exact same thing as a parent. And this is what God said. He says, I'm not trying to punish you. I'm just trying to restore you because I want all of your heart. I want your heart. Your heart's turned away from me. When we were in this series, this is only a three-week series, back in week one, remember the message was fairly simple. Um, you know, they were trying to figure out how to build, um, build the, um, the, the temple, and they didn't know how to do it. And God said, you know what? It's not that hard. Here's how you do it. Step one, two, three. He said, he said you um, go up to the mountain, bring down the timber, and then build the temple. So he broke it down, go up, bring down, and build. Week two, they were discouraged again, and God says, you know what? Um, you know, they were wanting to give up. He says, you can do this. And he tells them to be strong. Be strong. Be strong. And then do the work. Sound, sounds simpler to, do, to talk about than to do, but he basically said, pick up and place another brick. Now just do one more brick. Be strong. And the reason we can be strong, he explains, is because he says, for I am with you. And that changes everything. And we studied that last week. And he says, I want you with all my heart. So here's what happened. He's saying, you know, you people used to love me. You, you, I used to be first, but somehow you've turned away. And now somehow you've you started worshiping other idols. I want your heart. And I want all of your heart. I want to be first in everything. Jesus taught that he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added unto you. Seek first. Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the things of the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. But first he says, seek first the Lord. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, he promises, seek me and you will find me. He wants us to pursue him with all our heart. And Jesus taught that there was one command above every other command. And that's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. It's all about the heart. If your heart isn't right, everything else you do is wrong. But when your heart is right with God, that's when you see him open up the blessing. I really believe that that's when you'll see him open up the blessing. By the way, it's just fine with God if you want to have a nice house. That's not what the word teaches against. The word teaches against putting your house ahead of his, whatever that means. I hope you all have a great house. Have a nice house. Place the house of the Lord first. There's a right place for the house of the Lord in your life, whatever that means. And it probably means, you know, 125 different things to 125 different people sitting in this room, whatever the number is in here. It means something different to every one of you. The Holy Spirit is speaking something different to me because there's some area of my life the Lord says, Terry, and I know for all of you, it's something different. And I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking. 
God says, I want your heart. And that, that can be absolutely the biggest battle that we ever face. You know, we can be so in love with God. We can be so faithful to God. And then all of a sudden, we kind of flip on that conditional obedience switch. That's why what we do here is really important. That's why corporate worship, where we come together as a group and lift the name of, say, we lift you high, Lord, and we sing that word and we say those words and we mean it. It's so important to put God first. That's why, that's why we gather together to hear his word together, to put him first. That's why, when you, that's why spending time with other believers is so important because it builds the body of Christ to put him first. That's why, that's why the tithe is so important to put him first in the things that we love. And money is that place. Seek first the kingdom of God. And I can tell you, even as a pastor, it's real, really easy to get distracted. Don't just think because... I do this, that I walk a less challenging. It's not true. I mean, there's a guy named Bill Hybels who's a pastor of a big church, a pretty famous church. And he, he, he's got this, he said it like this. He said, the way I was doing the work of God, the way I was doing the work of God was destroying the work of God in me. We can get things, even good things, in the wrong priority order. Is it possible? Is it just possible that some of us are like what Jesus quoted when Jesus was quoting um, out of the book of Isaiah? By the way, if you want to see something powerful, go find out where Jesus quotes the Bible, quotes the scripture. He was saying, you can find this in Matthew 15 where he's quoting Isaiah. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I, I think maybe one of the biggest, most massive problems with Western Christianity is conditional obedience. God, yeah, I'll do it as long as. As long as it's going well for me. You know, it's people who honor him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. Now, here's the beauty of this story. Here's the part that I've been looking forward to. The really good part of this. It's all good, but this makes me feel better. And I like to feel better, so... God got their hearts. He did get their hearts. So, here, so they're building the temple. They're obeying him. God's got their hearts. And because God got their hearts, they, he also, the blessings started to pour. Not because they obeyed him. Not because they were doing things, but because their hearts were with God. And this is amazing. This is, okay, chapter 2, verse 15. And God says this to him. Even though they hadn't finished the temple, notice that. They hadn't done anything here to deserve this. But only because their hearts have changed, God says this. I am giving you a promise now. Not later. You know, now's the time to build the temple. Now's the time to get your hearts right. Now's the time to repent of sin that you've been rationalized, rationalizing and justifying. Now's the time to stop giving God lip service and give him your heart. Now's the time. Now's... He says, I give you this promise now. While the seed is still in the barn, you've not yet harvested your grain and your grapevines, your fig trees, your pomegranates, and olive trees have not yet produced their fruits. In other words, you still got planting to do. You haven't, you haven't done the work yet. It's not even harvest time. But here's what the Lord says. He says, but from this day onward, I will bless you. <laughs> wow. I will, that's a wow moment for me. That's a, that really is. From today, I will bless you. 
Not after you do all this stuff. Not after you prove it. Not after you earn it. Not after you, because you can't earn it. You can't prove it. And you can't do enough stuff. This is an example of the sovereign heart of God. This is the part he likes. As of this day, I'm going to bless you. Wow. I could start drooling right now. I'm so excited about that. (laughs) That is a a wonderful picture of the heart and character of our God. He knows we can't earn it. And so he makes a sovereign choice. I'm going to get past all that stuff. I'm going to be the big one here. After all, I'm God. And I'm going to bless you now. And there are, I think, that maybe people in this room today, that if you just are really, really honest with what the Holy Spirit maybe is trying to do in us, that the Lord's going to do a miracle in you this moment. And no one will see it or know it on the outside. Because maybe you are outwardly obeying the Lord, but inwardly you're discontent or rebellious. And at this moment, the Holy Spirit and you are in agreement. No more lip service. I'm going to give God my whole heart. With our whole hearts, minds, soul, and strength. And I want to pray right now for Christians especially that are deciding, okay, I've got, it's a small area, but I'm going to, I'm going to get this right with the Lord. And maybe for others, you're thinking, you know, I, I've never been right with God and I need to get right with God. I'm going to tell you that in just a couple minutes in the closing singing and prayer, there's going to be an opportunity where we won't point at you or identify you, but we will give you an opportunity in prayer to get right with God so that your eternity, your eternity takes you to heaven and not to hell. So that your eternity can be one of blessing and fellowship and relationship. And relationship with God is everything because that day will come where the Lord will say, not what are the good things you did because you can't do enough, but God will say, what did you do with my son? Scripture says that all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. We're going to give you the opportunity to do that in a minute. But I want to pray first for Christians who would say, okay, it's not a, not a large area, but it is an area in my life where I've been doing lip service to the Lord. Lord, I want to give that to you, and I'm sorry. Let's pray. God, today, um, we've taken time to honor mothers, and that's appropriate. But Lord, far be it from us to knowingly continue to honor you with our lips, but let our hearts be far from you. Let that not be our heritage, God. God, I pray that today that as your spirit circulates among us, that we will experience freedom. And that, Lord, there would be something of a new and a fresh, renewed relationship of walking with you. Lord, I think of areas in my own life where I've drugged my feet, where I've still been little Terry. And that's just not, I just don't want to be that. Forgive me, Lord, and I ask God for you to help me. Help me walk with you with my whole heart, my whole mind, my whole strength. Lord, I want to pray for people in this room that would be maybe agreeing with that prayer about issues of their own lives. Lord, thank you for the fact that you are so full of grace. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that you are so full of love. And do you think not about our mistakes and our failures, but our tomorrows, our future, and our hope. You would fill us, Lord, with life.